this is a young team. We're on the cusp. They're hungry to get better. Pierce running right. Spin move. Barrels his way down to the 41-yard line. What a run by Pierce. These are the type of guys, the type of men that we want in our locker room. It's intercepted. Christian Harris. Game day is every day. Love the energy. Picked off by Stingley. <laughs> Petrie. Texans have the ball on the pick. And if you want it, you got to go work. Now it's Texans All Access. Working tonight here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Hello, Texans. Mark Vandermeer with you. No Johnny tonight. It's Johnny McClain, the general, and I bringing you this program, the first part of it anyway, and it's always a thrill to catch up with John McClain on a Thursday, as we always do, especially during organized team activities. That's what OTAs stands for. I get that question a lot. What does OTAs mean? That's what it means. It's basically practice, right? General, it's off-season practice. Good evening. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'll try to to uh, see if I can fill in for John Harris in a way that will make him proud. Now, I'd, I've never been to an had never heard one player during a season say, man, I'm having a great season. It all started in OTAs. Or, man, I'm really struggling. And it all, if I'd have just done better in OTAs, OTAs are for coaches and players, especially new players and young players. Or in this case, so many guys are trying to learn what Bobby Slowick is putting in. I'm writing a column about Slowick and CJ Stroud right now for Sports Radio 610.com. Wrote one yesterday about Matt Burke and what he's doing with D'Amico on defense is about learning because the systems are new and defense is more familiar with the, than the offense. And Slowick, everybody talks about Kyle Shanahan. It, this offense came from Mike Shanahan, and then Gary Kubiak put it in with a little some of his wrinkles. And then Kyle Shanahan put it in with some of his wrinkles. And you know Bobby Slowick's had things that he wants to do when he gets an offense and becomes a first-time play caller. And we're not going to see it until they get into games. And I can't wait for the joint practices with the Dolphins and the Saints because, you know, Mark, those those joint practices, coaches would rather do that than have preseason games because they can control everything and be guaranteed of getting the kind of work that they want to. So I'm already pumped about that. And so right now, I'm trying to watch the young players, Stroud, of course, and I'll watch Case Keenum just because I like Case. I just wrote he comes back like blue bonnets every spring, and and that's the truth. His third tour here, he's 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 been such he's been such a big part of Houston going back to U of H. Still has national passing records. I think bringing him in here as a mentor to Stroud. And and Davis Mills was a great move that that may never may never mean squat on the field because you hope he never plays, but it was tremendous having him there. And so I'm watching the quarterbacks. I'm watching the rookie receivers like Tank Dell, Xavier Hutchinson. You can't tell much about defensive players, and um, but when they're playing Miami, and you see Tyreek Hill running down the field with Derek Stingley trying to keep up with him, that's going to be a great thing for Stingley at the time when it comes. And uh, But right now I'm just trying to figure out which coaches are whom because you see them and you know who they are, but you want to watch them on the field. 
And we got to talk to him yesterday, and I think that's great. I love talking to the assistant coaches. Yeah, and we'll get to one of them, Gerard Johnson, in segment two, as D.P. Sidhu had a chance to visit with him yesterday. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. Uh, we'll I bet you that. that, excuse me, I bet you D.P. didn't ask him this question that I did. And the question was to Gerard, when you were young, did you ever actually learn anything from Bag of Burgers? And he started laughing because that was what they called John Lopez when he coached their basketball team. John is like Gerard's substitute, Gerard's substitute father. They're really mm-hmm. close. And he watched him grow. And the players on the team started calling John Bag of Burgers. I said, well, you can't call him B.O.B. and get it confused here. And so because John was always going to get a bag of burgers and bringing them back to feed them. So that's what they called him. And uh, he gave a really good answer. But uh, he did a great interview with D.P. Uh, people should be eager to hear that because he would while Bobby Slowick this is my lead is mastering the art. If he's asked about one player, we'll make it about the position. When he's asked about Stroud out of respect, he brings in Mills and Keenum. And the fact is everybody wants to know about Stroud, but Gerard, man, he was great talking about Stroud and their relationship and they go back a long way. And uh, so I'm, uh, I can't wait to see DP's interview. Yep, it's going to be fun to uh, digest that in segment two. You brought up a lot of stuff here. Case Keenum, still the all-time leading passer in NCAA history. I love that note on him. He put up a number that's going to be very difficult to break. But let's go back to the OTAs and the importance or lack thereof when you're dealing with a veteran team maybe. But with a young team, as you pointed out, General, important to get the timing down, important to get the systems installed now Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins that's a little bit more of a veteran team of course they have 10 sessions they're allowed to have he's only going to have six and he says he wants to to reward the guys for doing a good job and also incentivize them to do a much better job at the times they're out there on the field what do you think of that applied to training camp and I know training camp has changed over the years we don't do two a days anymore I mean, when I started in the league 20 years ago, there were two days, but the second one was mostly a special teams practice. Still, it was another practice for a lot of the players, and we gradually morphed into no two-a-days during training camp. But do you think coaches eventually will really dial down training camp practices because of the wear and tear leading into the season? How do you think they'll approach that? My God, it's already been dialed down so much now they don't even have full contact. You're talking about when you started, when I started, they had two, three-hour practices every day for six weeks and just beat the hell out of each other. And, 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 but the union rules, when they, when they negotiated new collective bargaining agreements, the Texans, the Texans, the teams have, the players have spent more time getting time off than worrying about money. And that's good because they take such good care of themselves. Teams give them facilities. You know, you're there every day. You got a cafeteria. You can get three meals. You can get anything you want over there. And the idea was to keep them there. When when I started covering the Oilers, they had like a couple of one bench press, a few dumbbells. And if you wanted to lift weights, you usually went to got a gym membership on your own and nobody had food. They'd send rookies out to local restaurants to bring it back. So teams like the Texans have great facilities. And if players do what they're supposed to, and most of them do, you know, the, the training camp, 
I, you don't see many guys get hurt. They get nicked up. They get pull muscles and stuff. But, you know, if a guy goes to the ground, it's by accident because he's tripped and fallen or run into somebody. So if the Dolphins do well and if they win the Super Bowl, everybody's going, oh, well, what can we do? Oh, Mike McDaniel shorten OTAs. And since OTAs, McDaniel's there. He's taught his system. They don't have a lot of new players where the Texans have new coaches, new systems, so many new players. They need every minute they can get. But it, it, I remember Bill O'Brien told me this once, Mark. He said what he wanted to see in an OTA is when the coaches taught him in the classroom and they went out on the field to see what they remembered, if they made if they made mental mistakes. And um, he said sometimes, and I remember he used this with Deshaun Watson, his first at minicamp was that you could tell he listened and you could tell he studied overnight because he came in and asked questions based on what he was supposed to have seen. And some of them would be clueless and you could tell they weren't. And so players who impress the coaches with the mental stuff at this time of year, that's the way to get ahead. Then you got to take it to the field, of course. But as far as could other teams do that, I think it just depends on how the Dolphins do. Tua Tungavailoa has been hurt every year he's been in football. So the odds are he's going to get hurt again. And then they're talking about Tom Brady may come out of retirement to play it for Miami because he wanted to do it two years ago. And his kids are there. And uh, I heard today an interview with Rick Stroud, who covers the Bucks forever for the Tampa Times. And he thinks Brady will continue to uh, work out and throw the football in case a perfect situation comes up. and But if two were to stay healthy for the first time and they win, people would be looking and see what they did. And I'm sure you'd see some teams shorten their OTAs, but the odds of them doing that because of his injury history are not uh, very realistic to me. You think that's why Brady decided, hey, I don't want to do the Fox thing until 2024. I don't want to get into the broadcast booth until the following season. I need the year off, but I want to hedge my bet here. I want to be ready, stay in shape in case there is that situation you mentioned. I think that's a great observation, Mark. Uh, I hadn't thought about it like that. I thought he just wanted like a gap year before he made $37.5 million a year or whatever he's going to make for Fox which would be more than he ever made in the NFL. But I'll bet you, considering we've seen him come back before, and the way Rick Stroud was talking about it, it wouldn't be the Raiders. They're not a perfect situation, but the Dolphins have loaded with talent. He's got receivers like he's never had with the kind of speed they have. He didn't even have that in Tampa with Mike Evans being his best receiver, and they have everything in place to be – a prolific offense, which we saw last year when Tua was healthy, and Brady could just step right in. The worst thing for Tom Brady to me would be if he did that and say the Dolphins were really good and he went down, say, 1st of December, and Brady comes back and he's not he's not any good anymore. And if that's the case, it's not going to kill his legacy, but based on everything he's done in his career, just at this point, it would kind of tarnish it a little bit, but, you know, people would soon forget about it. We still haven't gotten the press conference, right? We never got a retirement press conference out of him, which I pointed out last year, and I don't think we got one this year either. So I'm wondering, is that another sign when you're talking about him and stepping away for good? Because doesn't his 
exit from NFL football warrant a gigantic press conference and some questions and reflections and that kind of thing? Yeah, but he doesn't want to do that. He put out that statement today saying he's done, and a lot of people don't believe it. You know, he's trying to be a minor partner in the Raiders organization, and uh, and he's got the money. You know, he's made a whole lot of money. He's going to invest in the team, and the value continues to go up. So people are saying, well, if Jimmy Garoppolo can't play, they got Tom Brady right there. Well, he might not decide that's the best situation for him where he like he wants to be around his kids. He lives in Florida. The Dolphins, as Rick Stroud said, it would be the perfect situation for him because they have everything in place to contend for not just the playoffs, the Super Bowl. They just play in such a tough division. And uh, Rick uh, surmised that Brady will work out like crazy, but he's not going to let anybody see him do it. And whoever he does it with will be sworn to secrecy. Well, the backup quarterbacks on the Dolphins roster, Mike White, who was previously with the Jets, Skylar Thompson, who we saw last year, and James Blackman, who is a college free agent. So you never know what happens. Back to the Texans quarterback situation general with C.J. Stroud out there yesterday. We all saw him. Look, you mentioned Watson, and I can't help but compare the two situations because that's the last time we had a highly touted rookie in here. David Carr was a long time ago, so this is the most recent similar situation. And I know it's not apples to apples and the offense is different, and who knows where they go from here, but it took three or four weeks for Watson to really show something, I thought, in this time of year, the offseason practices. Uh, for C.J. Stroud, I thought he made a nice leap from week one to week two, and he's really showing you some things out there. Now it's early, and uh, you got a long way to go here, but looks pretty promising, and Bobby Slowick said as much. And I think, you know, people are talking about Davis Mills. What do you do? Listen, they're all important. Case Keenum, Davis Mills, C.J. Stroud. You need a roster filled with quarterbacks. You need a stable of quarterbacks because you never know what happens injury-wise. Stroud could get off to a great start, and you hope it continues. You hope he stays healthy. Look what happened. To, we mentioned Watson. Look what happened in 2017. You always need insurance at this position, right? Absolutely. And they've got Mills under contract for this year and next year. Case, I expect this will be the last team Case plays for, and I expect him to go into coaching. It just depends on what level he wants to coach, whether he wants to start in the NFL immediately, maybe coach at U of H. I don't think he'd be a high school coach, but you never know. But Case Keenum has coach written all over. And he also, I think, would be good as a broadcaster. And, uh, but I, I just think coaches in his future and he's almost, it's almost like he's starting unofficially now by helping w- with CJ Stroud's development. And remember when Watson came off the bench in the first game against Jacksonville, he got cream just like Tom Savage that Jaguars defense, 10 sacks. They blew him away. We didn't have any idea. They were going to get as close to the Super Bowl as they did, losing in the fourth quarter at Foxborough. And, um, but then he started that second game at Cincinnati on the road, prime time. And remember, his best play was a run. So uh, he made a lot of mistakes. And Stroud will make uh, a lot of mistakes too. That's like if they started Mills this season, which they're not, but if they did, they might win a couple of more games because you're going to have ups and downs with a rookie quarterback and you want to see progress. I was uh, 
It's amazing to me how many people are picking next year's draft for Arizona to have the first two picks. And I heard somebody today on NFL radio talking about, could this be like the, uh, these are veteran people on there, like Arizona when they drafted Josh Rosen. In other words, comparing Stroud to Josh Rosen, I'm like, my God, have you not paid any attention? So the Texans might next year, well, they're not going to be in a position to draft Caleb Williams or Drake May because they don't have that high pick. I think it would be incredible if the Texans somehow, and I'm not predicting this, Mark, but stranger things have happened that the Texans won eight or nine games and the Browns only won seven or eight, and that Arizona draft choice was below the Texans' first-round pick. Yeah, it could certainly happen. We don't know what's going to happen with Cleveland. They had a lot of talent last year, and look what happened. I know they had Jacoby Brissett starting the bulk of those games, but they did not set the world on fire when you-know-who got into the lineup. General, one of the things that – and you talk about the Texans winning more games than projected by some or by many, maybe. One of the reasons is the running back crew here, and – I get excited thinking about this. You have Damian Pierce, who looked really good last year, and you also have the leading rusher for the Buffalo Bills, a 13-3 and football team, and they would have still had him happily on the roster, but it was a contract year. They couldn't pay him, and here he is, Devin Singletary, and the other guys are no slouches. We saw Mike Boone making plays yesterday. Jared Dokes looks interesting. You know that Dario Gunbowale can play a little bit and certainly special teams, and he can run the ball when needed. What do you think of that stable of backs? Um, Danny Barrett, who is now on his fourth head coach here, Danny does a great job with the backs. And I asked him yesterday about the split. I knew he wasn't going to tell me. They don't know that now. I asked him in a perfect world, and he wouldn't say. But I'm thinking today with an 18-week season, 17 games, you hope eventually to have more than 17 that you and you have Singletary probably for one season, and he's a really good receiver. That was another benefit. Danny talked about the importance of him as a receiver, plus the importance of a running game to being a rookie quarterback's best friend. But originally I was thinking, ah, oh, 75 to 35. Now I'm thinking um, 65 to 65 and 45. And uh, you hope, but the odds are somebody's going to get hurt. The way Pierce is such a physical runner, you can't change him. He's not going to run out of bounds. You know, he's destined to get beat up. You hope he doesn't have an injury like last year that keeps him out of the last four games. I'm guessing if they'd been in a playoff race, he wouldn't have been out in the last four games. I think that was smart to shut him down. He didn't get a lot of carries at Florida. He didn't get too much mileage on him last year. This year, I think the running game and, and uh, Valaday, what's what's his first name? Xavier. Xavier Valdez, who was a really good running back in college. You know, he could end up being the third one. He could be on the practice squad. You mentioned about Wally being a good reserve and a good special teams player. And I don't know about Boone. He's he's been in the league for a while. He's destined for special teams, but uh, if he makes it. But those first two, Singletary's better than anybody they had coming off the bench last year. And the fact that you can throw shorter passes to backs coming out of the backfield, I would venture to guess they will utilize the backs, specifically Singletary, in the running game. I think 
had Pierce stayed in all year, he was on a pace for more than 1,200 yards, and they wouldn't have been as bad as they were uh, in the running game. You know, last year in the running game, my goodness, they were all, they were 31st, and that was with Pierce, but if he had missed those last four and been terribly misused in the first game when Rex Burkhead touched the ball more than him, you know, they wouldn't have been 31st in rushing, averaging 86.8 yards. Yeah, I just think you look at this as a group, and it's so exciting to think about the potential. Now, what about receiver here? Because, look, we'd love to see John Mechie out there, and he's got an injury he's dealing with, and we know what else he's dealing with after missing last year with leukemia, my goodness. So you hope that he can get up to speed quickly once camp hits. But, man, Nico Collins looks good, and I like what I see out of Robert Woods on and off the field so far. And Xavier Hutchinson, it is Xavier. Sometimes it's Xavier. Sometimes it's Xavier. He prefers Xavier. Xavier Hutchinson opened some eyes as well. They got a lot of guys to choose from here, General. It could be pretty interesting. Yeah, they don't have a great receiver. That's something they're still going to need next year. Uh, everybody's just going to call him X. If you want to be called X Xavier, everybody's going to call you X. People call everybody Xavier because of Xavier being so good in basketball all the time. I watched him at Iowa State, and he was a great college receiver. I know he ran a slow time, and maybe he didn't work out so well, but if you just watch tape of him play at Iowa State, there's no way he should have been available. I think it was so smart of Casario to trade to get him. And then Tank Dale, um, Tank's going to help the return game. He and Mechie are inside receivers. Like people, every radio station I'm on keeps asking me about DeAndre Hopkins. I said, you're not going to have a rebuilding team, two 31-year-old receivers, and Hop turns 31 next week. There's no way. That takes away what you're doing. You're trying to see these young players. Nico Collins been hurt way too much in his first two years. He needs to stay healthy because last year he looked good when he was healthy. And if he's injured for a third year in a row, that's going to hurt his career big time. And I think Woods, and we all know most of the time, when you have a major injury like a torn ACL, it's your second year when you're all the way back physically and mentally, subconsciously. So I look for Robert Woods, who's 31, the last great season he had was 2020, just like Hop's last great season was 2020. I look for Woods to be the go-to receiver for C.J. Stroud because he's young and Robert's older and experienced, and he's going to take him under his wing, and he's going to be in the right place when he's supposed to be. I would imagine he's going to talk to Stroud a lot uh, to help him, and so he'll just be very comfortable with Robert Woods and Jordan Schultz is a tight end. You know, he may end up being the leading receiver. That was another terrific signing. You know, it's, 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 um, I don't want to get over enthusiastic about how many games it takes. is going to win. And anybody claims the schedule is hard. You're just not telling the truth. You know, it's so much easier should be than last year when they played the NFC East and AFC West. And now they're, his third easiest based on last year's records. You know, they could fool around and win seven or eight games, even though I'm not going to pick them. I'm going to pick them to win six again since I did that last year. But, uh, and I think that, that the receivers, there's a lot of competition and it's going to be tough to, barring injury. It's going to be tough on game day to pick the guys who are going to be active. And I think Mechie, 
what he's doing is nothing short of miraculous because he had to recover from a torn ACL uh, while he was undergoing treatment for leukemia. It would be unfair to expect a lot of it from him right off the bat, but you want to see him make progress as the season goes. And probably second half of the season, we'll start to see why he was a second-round pick. And then next year, next year should be John Mechie's of uh, the year that he kind of explodes. All right, two more for you. One is, will you watch the NBA Finals, General? And what do you got for us on SportsRadio610.com? I am. I've gotten real caught up in the playoffs. It started with the Lakers. The fact that LeBron thought the play-in game was ridiculous, and then they used it to advance. And uh, watching Jokic, he's been unbelievable. Second-round pick. People complaining, oh, the Rockets didn't get one of the first three picks. Best player in the NBA was a second-round pick. He started slow in his career, changed his body, got serious. Now he's the best player. I love watching him play and what the Heat has done has been miraculous without Tyler Hero, their third leading scorer, and playing four undrafted players. Denver's unbeaten at home in the playoffs. I'm picking the the Broncos, the Nuggets tonight, and to win the series. And I've got a column on sportsradio610.com about Matt. Matt Burke. All right, we lost John McClain. I'm not gone, and I've got, and I've got, I'm back. I've got one. I'm working on now about Bobby Slowick and C.J. Stroud. Very nice, General. Thanks so much for being with us. Today. Mark, thank you very it. much. All right. Coming up, uh, D.P. Sidhu visits with Gerard Johnson. That's going to be cool. Plus, two things in OTAs you cannot tell, period. You cannot tell this by watching OTAs. As much as I love seeing 11 on 11, those guys out there, these two things are not going to come through and other questions that have been thrown my way this week final segment tonight we usually do who's better on thursday johnny's not with us tonight so i'm going to do the final segment tonight who's better sports announcers sports announcers version i'll do it so that's all coming up here on texans radio texans all access continues in a moment texans radio is back All right, Johnny out tonight. I'm in, though, and a couple of things happening here. I tweeted out a picture that I saw at the Bel Air Island Grill. It's hung up on the wall, and it's a group of Texans from circa 2009 or 2010. I've narrowed it down to these two years because Dan Orlovsky's in the picture, and he was on the team for those two years. So it's one of those years because the other guys were around for a bit, and People were asking, well, I was asking, can you name them all? And obviously, Matt Schaub is on here, and Orlovsky is very recognizable, especially on ESPN. Now, Chris Myers is there. Uh, David Anderson is the one a lot of people didn't recognize, receiver. Eric Winston is in the pick. It's on my Twitter account, at Texans Voice, tweeted it out earlier today. And Kevin Walter, who so many people refer to as Kevin Walters, but it's Kevin Walter, and I get it because it gets confusing because you had Owen Daniels on the team, and the Texans were scrimmaging a lot, scrimmaging, preseason practicing and playing preseason games a lot with the New Orleans Saints, and they had Chase Daniel. So you have Owen Daniels and Chase Daniel and Kevin Walter, and there's probably a Walters somewhere in the NFL that I'm not thinking of right now. So I get it. I get the confusion, but it's Kevin Walter, ladies and gentlemen, caught the most significant touchdown pass in the history of the franchise, 2011, at Cincinnati in December to send the Texans to the playoffs for the first time ever. It wasn't like it was an acrobatic, amazing 
DeAndre Hopkins or Andre Johnson type reception, but it was awesome because it scored the go-ahead TD to enable the Texans to get in. Andre wasn't able to play in that game. He was hurt. TJ Yates threw for 300 yards. We don't have to talk about that right now, do we? No, but it was awesome, and uh, congratulations, Kevin. And that picture is on my Twitter account. So many of you uh, were wondering. In fact, I said seasoned Texans fans will get this right. And then Steph Stradley said, seasoned, LOL. That's another nice way of saying you've been around for a few years if you're seasoned. I used to say long in the tooth all the time on the radio when I was doing uh, shows all the time on Sports Radio 610 in the morning. But I was saying it so often that I needed another way to say old. Seasoned. That's pretty good, right? Anyway, a seasoned coach, he's not quite seasoned yet, but he's been around. Gerard Johnson who played in Aggieland, as we all know. He was on the same team with Ryan Tannehill. So that was a while ago because Ryan Tannehill's rookie year in the league was 2012. Started his career right here at NRG Stadium as a Miami Dolphin. But Gerard was with a few NFL teams and then began his coaching career. Coached C.J. Stroud in an elite camp. And I mentioned that video before that uh, Johnny found on YouTube where Gerard's talking about C.J. Stroud at that point. Well, the assistant coaches were made available yesterday, and D.P. Sidhu had a chance to visit with quarterback's coach and Aggie, Gerard Johnson. Well, welcome back to Houston. How have uh, OTAs gone for your group? So they've, they've been good. You know, it's an opportunity for those guys just to get comfortable, to get reps, to kind of just kind of talk about things in meetings and talk about and watching tape and the cut-ups and those things for those guys to get out in the field, feel, feel what feels good, feel what feels different, understand the rhythm and timing. And at the end of the day, that's, that's what OTAs are for, is for those guys to build a base level and feel comfortable enough to come back and train the camp and compete, you know. And so I think they've done a good job, and I think they've all taken the approach to try to be better every day with every, day, every single rep, and that's all we can ask for. Last week you were in Minneapolis, or recently you were in Minneapolis for the Coaches Accelerator Program. What was that whole experience like? Uh, it, was, it was really cool. You know, it was a unique experience. I'm thankful the NFL wanted to be chosen with two that they did that. Um, I learned a lot from other coaches, a lot of older coaches who, uh, you know, have been in the NFL for a long time. And so we had a lot of good conversations there, an opportunity to meet some of the owners, which is a unique experience in itself. You know, but overall, I think it was great for my personal career. And, uh, like, I learned a lot of pro-growth things as far as from running my meetings and those different things, how to carry myself. Just a lot that I think I can apply right now with the Texans and that all. You know, at this point, that's all I can do is try to be the best version of myself to pour into the players here with the Texans. How does that visibility really help with, you know, NFL coaches, execs, owners? just management that you don't normally see day to day? I mean, I think it'll help for sure, you know, and I don't really know the, the depths of how it will help. You know, I, I know it has to be a positive, um, but at the end of the day, what, what, what came up a lot at the end of the day, you do good work where you are, you pour into the players where you are, you hope your current team and, uh, you know, people will notice, you know, and so I took from that is take what I got from there, met some faces, whatever, and just try to pour into the Texans, and then, uh, you know, we do good things here. You know, the way the, the profession works, good things may happen for you. At what point did you decide that you want to pursue coaching after your playing career? Uh, so I, I knew growing up, you know, my, my hero was my dad, who was, a high, who was a high school coach for me at Unborn. So I always knew when I was done playing that I wanted to coach. Um, and once I, you know, once playing went the way it did for me, you know, I don't think any player, I don't think it ends on their time. You know, and so uh, I took a couple of years to figure out how I wanted to coach and how I wanted to get back. And so I started from coaching youth and giving quarterback lessons to coaching at Houston St. Thomas. Um, and then I got an opportunity uh, with the Colts to do an internship there, which got me to the NFL. And I kind of fell in love with the profession, you know, and so I'm thankful for the Colts. And then I got another opportunity with the Vikings. And so here I am. So I did, but I am thankful that um, I kind of went through that route because I learned a lot from coaching high school. I learned a lot from coaching young kids. 
Um, you know, and so I'm, I'm thankful for the path that got me here. But I always think I want to coach, uh, but just, uh, you know, it took me a couple of years to figure out exactly how and what level, but I'm thankful for that that time. It, it made me who I am. I was going to say, speaking of high school players, you got to coach CJ Stroud <laughs> at the Elite 11, and here you are coaching him again. You know, when you look at him then and him now, what sort of growth have you seen? Uh, just tons. You know, it's a testament to him. It's a testament to Ohio State. It's a testament to his family. Um, you know, meeting him at 17, he was he was super coachable and just wanted to learn. And I think he's still that same kid at heart. But then to see a, a, a grown adult professional version of that, uh, it's been exciting to see, you know. And so I, I knew the kind of kid we were getting. Uh, but then once we've been in the building with him, spending days with him as a professional, as a grown man who's been through some things, uh, it's been just as exciting to, to see the growth in that. And so I'm, I'm excited to coach him. And, you know, the sky's the limit for him. Oh, we're excited to have you. Thank you so much for the time, Coach. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, DP Sitter with Gerard Johnson, and great to hear that interview. Gerard, look, we had him on the show. When John Lopez and I did the morning show, we used to have Gerard on the show sometimes, and I know he's had him on over the years from time to time. And can I say this? He's got head coach written all over him. I mean, not tomorrow, all right? He's going to have to pay his dues, and he's a quarterback's coach now, work his way up and go through the process. But my goodness, is he impressive. And the best thing for him, I always say this, the best thing for everybody's career is that the team wins. All boats rise with that tide, baby. This team starts to win games. Everybody's going to look a whole lot better. All the coaches, players, etc. everybody. All right, I mentioned this. Things you cannot tell in OTAs. One would be pass rush. It's really difficult to say, right? Because they're not in pads. It can't get too physical. We talked to Chris Strauss, the offensive line coach, last night about uh, you want the guys to be physical, but you know they can't get too physical. They're not in pads, but you want to see some things. They got to do what they got to do, right? It's OTAs. It's not going to be the full boat. So it's really difficult to tell pass rush. So people ask about how's Will Anderson doing? Well, he looks great in the uniform, and I'm sure you know the coaches could tell you more about how he's picking up the system and what a great guy he is, and it looks like things are coming around. But we won't know everything we need to know until we see him in pads, and that goes with the O-line. And the running game, too. You cannot tell how well they're running the football. Now, you can tell who's got the juice, who's got speed, what backs can catch the ball well, who might look good once they get into pads, catching the ball and avoiding tackles and that kind of thing. One thing you can tell, receivers versus DBs have some nice battles, right? They don't need to be fully padded to have some good battles. Now, if you're a receiver, you know you're not going to get hit. But isn't that kind of like the whole league right now? I mean, in the 70s, you know, talk to people who, people, receivers who had to go across the middle. Going across the middle in the 70s, heck, even in the 90s, right? Doesn't Rod Tidwell and Jerry Maguire say, Jerry, I go across the middle. Going across the middle was a big deal because you can get blasted by these DBs. Now, you can still get hit, obviously, but it's not the same. It's not Jack Tatum. It's not the same as it was in previous years the way the rules are written now to protect the receivers defenseless receiver right we see that a lot you don't want to pick up a penalty you don't want to go helmet to helmet I know it happens on occasion but you don't want to do that so you could still see some good battles out there though in OTAs and here's the question I get more than any other how's Stroud looking how are the quarterbacks looking look CJ Stroud like I said earlier when we were talking with the general so far so good so far, so good. He throws some lasers out there. I think Mills is looking pretty good, too. You know, and Keenum looks like Keenum. Keenum makes throws. Are you kidding? Keenum makes the most of every rep he gets. He's not going to squander 
a chance to look good in whatever reps he can get. And as I mentioned earlier, everything is monumentally important as far as these quarterbacks go. You don't know where this is going to take you. Are you are you new here, right? You don't go through a season with uninjured quarterbacks very often in this league. I could phrase that a whole lot better. Very often quarterbacks get hurt in this league. Look at the 49ers last year. Look at the Texans in 2017. Look at the Texans in 2016. Look at the Texans in 2015. Look at the Texans in 2014. Stop me. It happens a lot. So you need everybody to play well here, assuming you don't pick up anybody else along the way. You absolutely need health. Uh, But the way I could say it best is, you know, Stroud has some moments where you just go, oh, look at that. And it's very encouraging about what you feel you're going to see in the future. But what else do I always say? Everybody's got to get better. I'm not talking about him specifically here. I'm talking about the entire team, every player. They'll tell you this, especially rookies coming in. Whoever you were in college, all right, great. Now you're in the NFL, completely different situation. You've got to improve every day. You've got to take great leaps. Year one to year two, day one to day two, if you're a rookie, just take it. I know it's all cliche, but that's how they have to do it. That's how we all do it in life, right? When you get a new job and you're right out of college, this is a heck of a job for them to get and make the most of whatever reps they get. All right, coming up, I promise this, so we will get to it. Who's better? We do it every Thursday night, usually anyway. I'm going to do who's better sports announcers. Johnny's not here. We're going to play. We're going to have some fun with it. Think about your own faves. Am I going to do NFL radio? Probably not. Leave me out of this. But we'll do the TV guys, the guys you know well. Let's do it and then some. It's Texans Radio. More Texans Radio is on the way. Back to the show that keeps you plugged in with the Houston Texans. Live from NRG Stadium, Mark Vandermeer with you. Johnny out tonight. All right, let's get to this. We do Who's Better on Thursdays. Let's do Who's Better Sports Announcers. Names you know. I could get really esoteric. It's not that esoteric to say Ernie Harwell's a great baseball announcer, but a lot of you are saying, who's that? Used to do the Tigers for WJR in Detroit. That's a blowtorch signal, but again, that's a seasoned comment going back to a word that i talked about in the last segment let's get to this let's start with the nfl let's start with the good stuff here lead with the steak best nfl announcer on tv ever i'm going to tell you my favorite and who's going to go down in history as the best until further notice al michaels will go down in history as the best tv announcer for the nfl until further notice right My favorite, though, is Pat Summerall. Pat Summerall, who worked with John Madden all those years, CBS, and then for Fox. Just something about the smoothness of the delivery, the economy of words, something I know nothing about because I talk too much. Now, he would just lay out. I don't do TV, so radio, you have to paint the picture. You have to keep talking, describing, etc. For Summerall, he could just say a guy's name, and it just sounded like poetry, you know? Raphael Septian. Why did I pick that name? I don't know. Cowboy kicker for back in the day. But I love Pat Summerall. He's my fave. Al Michaels is going to go down in history as the best. And I, obviously, I think Al Michaels is good. And of the new guys, Al, Joe Buck. I love Mike Tirico. I've talked about that before. All right. NFL color commentary. Greatest of all time. Layup John Madden. You all know that. Who's the best today? Who's the best color commentator today is it collinsworth is it aikman 
When Romo started, people had an affair in an audio way with what he was saying, right? People loved Romo. Oh, my gosh, this guy's so much better than anybody else right now. So many people said that, and now people are souring on Romo because they feel like, you know what, he doesn't prepare maybe as well as he did in the past or as he distances himself more, just years removed from the game, he doesn't really know the teams as well as he did when he was just recently plugged into everything. And you just have to approach it from a different standpoint, right? I mean, Collinsworth played in the early 80s. You don't have the same perspective, and you have to continue to work hard to dive deep into it. Not saying Tony's not doing it, but a lot of people interpret it that way. I like Collinsworth the best. I really do. I think Aikman does a terrific job as well. I know they all make mistakes. Guess what? They all do it. They all make errors. They'll all say something that sounds obvious. You try being on the air for three hours calling a game. I'm not doing a woe is me thing here. But things will come out of your mouth where you'll say afterwards, why did I say that? Why did I say I talk to people about this all the time, doing a four-hour sports talk show. All the 610 hosts can relate to this. There are times when you're wondering, why did I just say that? Or you listen to a recording of yourself later, and you're thinking, I don't, I don't even know why I mentioned that. You're sort of having this out-of-body experience as you're continuing to talk for four hours a day, five days a week, every day of your life, every week of your life. It just, uh, you know, things happen. Things happen in a verbal way that it's just, it's difficult to describe unless you go through it. I know guys who think, oh, I could be on the air doing a four-hour talk show. I could do that. I'm sure you have plenty of good takes, right? Try it. This is what I always tell people. In your car, go three minutes, just three minutes on a watch or clock, on on your car clock. Just turn off the, don't turn off the radio now, but try this later and go three minutes on a take. Uh, you know, give you a t- t- talk about the Astros, talk about the Texans, talk about whatever you want to talk about out loud. It's got to be out loud. Three minutes. You're live. No stopping. You just have to go. After those three minutes, get back to me with your thoughts. You'll say, oh, that's a little tougher than I thought. OK, uh, color commentator. I like Collinsworth the best now. That might not be a popular thing, but of current color commentators, it's Collinsworth Madden all time. I love him. Just absolutely love him. I'm wondering how Brady's going to be. We'll find out together in 2024, allegedly. NBA, my all-time favorite, and I will stand on a table saying he's the best TV NBA play-by-play announcer ever, and that's Dick Stockton, who did it in the 80s so well for CBS with Tommy Heinsohn and with Hubie Brown. Hubie Brown, to me, is also the best color commentator in basketball ever. I know as he got more seasoned, it was getting a little verbose at times, but I still love the sound of his voice, and I do love the commentary and the phrasing of things. I think that's an important element of being a sports TV announcer. It's The audio of it, the soundtrack of the game is very important, but Stockton was elite. And I know Rockets fans, you you hearken back to the 90s, but hey, he did a couple of finals with the Rockets when they lost to the Celtics in the 80s. But in the 90s, when they won, it was an NBC sport. You're dealing with Marv Albert. You're dealing with Bob Costas doing the studio stuff. It's a different deal. I get it. MLB quickly here. Obviously, Vince Scully's the all-time greatest. I kind of, I know it's not... It's not intensely popular, maybe even in, you know, maybe even, especially in this city. But I kind of like Joe Buck. I think Joe Buck is really solid. His father, Jack, 
is my favorite all-time play-by-play guy. Jack Buck, Joe's father, Monday Night Football on the radio. He did national baseball on CBS. Obviously the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals for KMOX and had the greatest call, Chris, lower the NFL music, the greatest hometown call in the history of sports, in my opinion. Now, again, I'm not going to get a ton of agreement on this, maybe some. I'm not a Cardinal fan, but to me, it's Game 5, 1985, NLCS, and this happens. And a runner at third, nobody out in the first and didn't score. Second and third, one out in the second and didn't score. Smith, Corks went into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game by the score of three to two. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's beautiful. I don't, again, I'm not a Cardinal fan. I love that, though, and I love Jack Buck doing Monday Night Football. I used to listen to him and take notes because he was a great football announcer as well. All right, that's it for the sports announcers, who's better. It was really a who's best kind of thing, and I'd love to get your feedback. At Texans Voice on Twitter tomorrow night, going to have DP Sidhu on the show. We're going to talk OTAs some more because they have another week of those. And then the mini camp the week after that. A lot to get to here with the Texans before they get to the big break before training camp. It's coming up. It's June. We're getting closer. Guess what? In the next month, training camp begins. How about that? That sounds pretty good. In the next month, not in the next month within a month, but in July. Right? We're in June next month. So you get what I'm saying here. We're inside of two months until camp. All right. Thank you, Chris, for producing tonight. This show is going to be up on podcast soon enough. Have a great evening. Go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610.